1: And Welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. While the 2021 tax filing deadline is six weeks away, it's never too early to get financial documents in shape for preparing your tax return. Between new tax laws and issues related to the pandemic this year, Tax experts expect the season to be one of the most complex for filers. Today, my guest is Jim Morris, tax aid with the AARP Tax Aid Program and also with the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. He's going to discuss federal and state tax information updates that taxpayers need to know this year when preparing their tax return, and he's also going to share details about free tax preparation services for older adults and how to get help from these volunteer tax experts. So welcome, Jim, and thank you for joining me today.
2: Um, Thanks, Cheryl, for this opportunity to share the information.
1: Okay, well, we're glad to have you back uh, this year again, and we want to get started by learning a little bit about age limit for paying taxes. First of all, is there an age limit for paying taxes? And at what age are older adults not required to pay their taxes?
2: Unfortunately, there is no age limit for paying taxes. So if someone is over 100 years old but has taxable income over 14000 they will be paying taxes.
1: But the age is not a factor then?
2: No, you're never too old or too young to pay taxes.
1: Well, I guess we've heard it here from the expert. And so for tax year 2021, what are the age and the income level requirements both for unmarried older adults as well as for married older adults?
2: for 65 and older if you don't include social security the amount of income for unmarried is $14,250 and for the married it's 27,800
1: and also if someone is widowed or a widower perhaps if they lost their spouse in the year the tax year are they still considered married or then are they unmarried?
2: Yes. Um, the year that a spouse dies, they're considered as if they were living till the end of the year. So it still would be married filing jointly. They used to say single and then they refined it to be never married, <laughs> so that, uh, and widowed and widower. So there's there's no no confusion because somebody who's you know a widow said well I'm not single.
1: Okay, and and Jim, are there any other um, categories? Are, are there?
2: There's there's single. Yes. There's married. There's married filing jointly. There's head of household. And there's what's called qualifying widow or widower. And in that last one. You have to have a dependent child to use that category.
1: Okay, okay. And the next question is about an older adult whose income is only from Social Security. Would it be necessary for them uh, to file an income tax form?
2: If only Social Security would not be required to file, but it's a good idea to file, because of identity theft. Tell us more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, let's say that you weren't required to file, and somebody could file an income tax return if they got a hold of your name and Social Security number, and they could make up some fictitious information and end up getting a refund but would direct it to you know their bank account.
1: So what I'm hearing you say is is that even if your income level is not such that you really need to file uh, an income tax form each year, but to avoid uh, scamming or somebody else taking advantage of you, you should do do that anyway.
2: Right. It's best now. It's best to, for everybody to file.
1: I'm also wondering. For those individuals who are getting Social Security only, is there a particular time or a particular situation when Social Security income is taxable?
2: Well, it depends on other income. So depending on how much other money you're receiving that's taxable, your Social Security might be taxed, the... um, it could range from zero percent to up to eighty-five percent, depending on on the other income. Let's say you were a millionaire and you were getting Social Security. Eighty-five percent of that Social Security is going to be taxable,
1: if it's received in addition to other income. Is is that right. correct? Right,
2: other taxable income.
1: So I wanted to turn to. In, in the case that a retired person might be earning money, how much can a retired person earn without paying taxes?
2: Well, if the person's gross income is less than $14,250, they won't have to pay any taxes. Now, if someone was over 64 without a dependent, they could never claim the EIC, Earned Income Credit. Now they are finally eligible for this credit, which is based on earned income. If a senior has in the past not had to file because of low income, they should file if they have earned income. An example would be Aunt Minnie, age 70. Who has a small taxable pension and collects Social Security, but to make ends meet has a part-time job. Her Social Security would not be taxable, and her retirement is $6,000, and the W-2 has $7,000. Then for the first time, her refund credit would be one thousand seventy-five dollars because of the EIC.
1: So that's that's a good example of when, when they would have to pay taxes. Is that correct? No, no, no,
2: no, no. Um, Aunt Minnie never had to pay taxes, so she never she never bothered to file. But this year, if she doesn't file, she's going to lose out on one thousand seventy-five dollars.
1: Okay. Well, that's very helpful, Jim. I want to turn, because I think our listeners are going to be really interested in what's going on with the IRS. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about what has happened and how that might impact our filing process this year. So if a 2020 return has not yet been processed by the IRS, do you recommend that a taxpayer file a 2021 tax form?
2: Yes, you should go ahead and file your 2021 20, taxes and not worry about what's going on with your 2020 return. If you if you don't file, you could possibly hit would be hit with penalties and interest.
1: To that point, Jim, I was just wondering would it be advantageous to file electronically as opposed to doing it on paper and mailing it in? What what would you advise us?
2: Well, the Electronic filing is definitely faster. Uh, That's that's because the IRS doesn't have to manually enter all your information at the IRS site. You're doing the work that years ago were, were done by numerous clerks.
1: And so, if you file electronically, then it just goes automatically to the IRS, and they can process it more quickly. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly,
2: us? but it's got to be correct, or or it'll get hung up, and you know you don't want that either. So you have to be very careful, you know, when you're doing doing it electronically to make sure everything gets recorded.
1: And. I was wondering, is it even worthwhile to call the IRS about a tax issue?
2: Well, the IRS really does not want you to call them. Okay. But they do have uh, on their website online answers to the most frequently asked
1: questions. And in the outside chance that you really do need to talk with a real live person, is there a a preferred or best time to call?
2: Well, if you were to call, there, there, unfortunately, there is no best time. And the other thing that can happen is the person you get may not really know the answer and may just give you an answer to, you know, get you off the line.
1: Okay, well, it sounds like it's better to be using those volunteer tax experts that we're going to be talking about in the second half. So um, um, it's it's really uh, difficult. We, I did notice in the Washington Post that there's still a real backlog of, of um, tax forms, and people have not even re- received whatever refund they were supposed to get. And that's still a problem. Would you agree? Yes,
2: it's still—there's millions of returns that have not been processed.
1: And I wanted to also ask you about what we hear sometimes that the IRS will call or email an older adult sometimes and um, indicate that there's a problem. Is this a scam? And if so, what, what should an older adult do? Just
2: remember that the IRS contacts taxpayers only by regular mail. If you get a call or an email, it's a red flag. This is a scam.
1: And if so, what should people do?
2: Just ignore it, hang up, or and delete the email.
1: All right. Well, last year because of the pandemic, there was a delay in uh, the uh, due date of filing. Yes. What what's it this year?
2: Oh, yeah. Last year, they, they moved it to the middle of May. This year, though, it, it is on Monday, April 18th, and that's because the 15th is considered a holiday.
1: One thing I've never really understood is, is that I often hear about extensions. Um, what qualifies for an extension? Are there certain dates then? What do you have to do to do that? Tell us more about that.
2: Okay, an extension is an extension to file, but it is not an extension to pay. Now, the extension form is a 4868, and you do not have to have a particular reason for it. You don't say why you're not filing You know, by the deadline. And and asking for six months more to file, you just know that you have the six months to get your act together and get your your papers or your information in.
1: And would you get penalized then for not uh, getting it in? Uh, no, there's no penalty. But let's no penalty?
2: say let's say you were not sure whether you owed money or not. Okay. And at the end of the six months, you file and say, oops, I owe $1,000. Well, you're going to owe more than $1,000. You're going to owe $1,000 plus penalties and interest for not paying on time, which would be back to April 18th this year.
1: To your knowledge, do most people try to get their uh, tax forms sent in by April and this year, April 18th, or do they delay?
2: Most people try to get it in, but a lot of times there's good reasons for delaying um, because if you, let's say you know that something's not right and you have to get it corrected, okay? You can go ahead and file with the wrong information and then go back and do what's called an amended return, which is Form ten forty X, but that ten forty X is a mess to do, and you re- you really want to you really want to avoid it.
1: Well, and I was also wondering now, given the the difficulties that people are experiencing, insofar as last year's tax return, if a tax refund for twenty twenty one is uh, expected. When is it going to be received? Any idea?
2: <laughs> right. If you file electronically, it is usually about three weeks or less for a direct deposit. If you want to check, it's going to take maybe six weeks. You can have them put your refund into your either your checking or your savings account. You can actually have it put in more more than you can split it between accounts there's a capability to do that now.
1: And can you track that to make to see when you actually when that occurs?
2: Yes, you can check the status of a refund. Now, the best way is through the internet. And this would be after 2 days of fi- after filing. And you can go to irs.gov/refunds. Now, there is a phone option But you're going to have to wait three weeks after the electronic filing. And the phone number for that is 1-800-829-1954. I'll repeat that number. 1-800-829-1954.
1: And I was wondering, and thank you for that number. That's that's very helpful, Jim. And I was wondering if the refund uh, is delayed. The is there interest paid by the IRS? And and I guess the second part of that would be if 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 there is interest, is that then taxable?
2: Yes, it is taxable, and the taxpayer should have received a letter early this year showing the amount of interest paid. So it's just as if you had gotten interest at a bank, so it's treated the same way. And it's also taxed by Virginia.
1: And I guess that would be true then in all states, because this is a federal income tax return, and then you mentioned Virginia, but would the same be true then for every other state?
2: Well, every state that has income tax... Would tax it, yes. okay,
1: okay, well, let's look at what what are we looking at this year? I mentioned earlier in my introduction about some changes in tax laws are, are what are the significant changes in federal and state tax codes, especially those that would be affecting uh, older adults?
2: Well, the one change that I want everybody to remember is. That working seniors need to know that if they have uh, earned income, they are finally able to get that earned income credit. So even if you know somebody who you know doesn't doesn't have much money, and they have to work, that they need to be sure to file and put in for the earned income credit.
1: And is that the only uh, That's shame?
2: the ma- That's the major thing. the The other things are, you know, they raise the um, standard deduction that you can take. Um, but there's not much that really, you know, directly affects seniors only.
1: Okay. And if a person decides that they're going to do their own taxes, what's the best Place. What are the resources that are available to prepare tax forms online? It sounds like what you're telling us is that it's really advantageous to do our taxes online. So, h- how do you find this this information?
2: Okay. Well, if you're going to do it online, as opposed to going to a you know a pay preparer or a volunteer preparer, um. There are a variety of computer programs available for sale. But probably, if you definitely want to do it yourself online, the best approach would be to use the IRS free file service. And you can find that on the internet at irs.gov/. Free file like all one word,
1: and and then it'll be there to you can just download it or well
2: what what work? happens is you go in and there's a variety of free service providers and you have to figure out which one really fits you now some of them the the federal is free. But they're going to charge you an arm and a leg for the state tax forms, so you have to be very careful which one you pick.
1: And then you just pay online with a credit card, or
2: right? You have you have your choice. Um, you can you can pay online, but if you don't want to do that, you can get something that's called a ten forty V, as in Victor, and. That form you would use to mail in your payment. The 1040 itself would be sent in electronically, and the money would be received separately in that case.
1: That might just cause more confusion uh, as far as the IRS is concerned if that's done separately.
2: Well, no, because, see... They, they have a different address that the payments go to. You would send this form in, the 1040-V, and your check. And on the check, they want you to write part, at least part of your Social Security number and then put in um, 1040-2021 so they don't apply it to a wrong year or something like that.
1: Okay. Well, We're going to take a short break here. We've been learning a lot about what we need to know this year um, as far as our filing our federal income tax form. And we've been listening to Jim Morris, who is a tax aide with both the AARP Tax Aid Program as well as the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. And you're listening to WERA. 96.7 FM in Arlington, and we'll be right back.
0: Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs.
1: Welcome back. We are talking about the federal income tax preparation today with Jim Morris, who's with the AARP Tax Aid Program, as well as the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Program. And so, Jim, there's some questions maybe that I wanted to ask you that our older adults need to know and will help them be better prepared. So the first one is, how is the 2021 tax form, 1040, which is what we uh, know most or most familiar with, how is it different from the previous year?
2: Well, bottom line, two lines have been added to the 1040 and the 1040 SR, and the SR is for seniors, but it's identical for all intents and purposes to the 1040. And some renumbering has been done, so you really can't compare 2020 to 21 line by line. And unfortunately, the 1040 SR has ballooned to four sides, and there was no need for that, but they, but they did it. So if you're, you can just use the 1040. You don't need to use the 1040 SR if you're a senior. You can use either one. Now, schedules 1, 2, and 3 are the same for both of them. And they do have the larger print, which is nice. But 74 lines have been added among those schedules. So they've gone into a lot more detail of, you know, what is this income all about? So... You you know you you're going to say is this the right form? Look how long it is. It wasn't that it wasn't that long last year, so that's that's where the uh, the thing has has uh, become larger and and more uh, intimidating.
1: Good word to use for uh, a tax form. And one thing that you often hear about is the deductions. And I was wondering. Explain to us when we're going to be filing our tax form, is it better to use the itemized deductions instead of the, just taking a standard d- deduction, even though uh, an itemized d- deductions doing that might provide a smaller deduction? Explain to, that, explain to us w- what that all means.
2: Well, when the difference between the two is small, You can more than make up for the difference when your Virginia taxes, on your Virginia taxes, because the itemized total, less the amount for Virginia income tax, is much better than Virginia's standard deductions. So, what you need to do is do it both ways, then add whatever you got for the federal to the Virginia. For both of them, and then compare the results. What's the net difference? And whichever one is going to cost you less or give you more money, that's the one to go with.
1: And I'm hearing you say Virginia. Now, is what you just shared with us, would that be the same then when we're doing the, the federal tax form as well?
2: You do the federal two ways. You do it first let's say, taking the standard deduction. Then you do it again with the itemized deductions. Then you turn to Virginia, and you pick up at the bottom of the first page the Federal Adjusted Gross Income, and these numbers will be different for the two that you did, and go through the Virginia because when you go do Virginia if you use the standard deduction on the federal you must use the standard deduction on Virginia and if you use the itemized on the federal you have to go back and use the itemized in Virginia
1: okay and since it's possible that this program might be heard in other states i guess depending on what the tax laws are in the various states, that would kind of determine what was... Yeah,
2: it wouldn't hurt to do it in another state that has income tax. If the state doesn't have income tax, then if the standard is better for you, then that's the way to go.
1: All right. What about charitable contributions? I'm assuming that maybe older adults, if they can, uh, would be making charitable contributions, and... Would this situation that they have done that in the year um, come into play when you're trying to decide whether or not you want to itemize or you don't want to itemize? What are the laws there?
2: They've added something, if you don't itemize, that you can take a limited amount of cash or, by check, donations. Now, this, this would show up on line 12B on the 1040 or the 1040SR. And for an individual, it can be up to $300. Now, if you gave $3,000, you can only claim $300. And for a couple, it's $600. The crazy thing is, last year, it was $300, whether it was an individual or a couple. So it'll be a little confusing for the uh, people doing married filing jointly because they're going to look at last year and see that they could only take off $300. But this year they can take off up to $600. But again, remember, it has to be cash. If you donated $1,000 worth of goods to Goodwill, that's, that doesn't doesn't come into play.
1: And so, when you're saying cash, it would be something that they would have paid by a check or, or right, or or card in cash, or, right?
2: But it has it has to be to a qualified charity. Okay. If you gave three hundred dollars to a homeless family, that doesn't count.
1: One thing I also wanted to ask you in connection with charitable contributions is: it necessary, regardless of whether you decide to itemize or not, that either doing it yourself or even if you get a, 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 someone to help you prepare, that you do have to have documentation in the form of a letter from the organization to confirm that you've actually uh, made that um, contribution?
2: That's not an absolute requirement, but in some cases it's the best way to do it because let's say you gave to PBS, and they sent you, you know, uh, a bunch of records. They can tell you how much it, how much of that was an actual tax uh, contribution that you could maybe take off your taxes. You can't take the whole amount off because you got something in exchange for your donation.
1: If you don't get any goods or services, then you could deduct the whole amount. Correct. Yes. OK. And that's perhaps why it's so important if you get a letter from an organization that they indicate that no goods or services were received in exchange for this contribution.
2: Right. It, you're, you know, you're, you're better off if you have, um, you know, uh, something from the organization, because should you be audited in, a, you know, two or three years down the road, you can definitely prove it.
1: Okay. I wanted to get into something which I think affects a lot of older adults, and that is medical and dental expenses. Uh, Help us understand, if an older adult has significant unreimbursed medical and dental expenses, in other words, their Medicare or any other insurance carrier doesn't cover it, is it really important for them to keep track of these expenses. Are they deductible then at the end of the year?
2: Well, it's a good idea to keep track of unreimbursed medical expenses, which would include things like eyeglasses and prescriptions, because you may be able to deduct them if you have enough total deductions to itemize. But you need to have a lot of Uh, other things to take off, it'd be very hard-pressed to say you've got enough medical uh, unreimbursed expenses that you definitely can... that doing itemized would be your best bet. First of all, there's a hurdle you have to get over. You can't take all of your uh, unreimbursed medical and dental expenses Plus whatever you're paying for insurance, you can't take it all. you have to take whatever you whatever that total is minus seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income. so you have a hurdle to get over, and that thing is subtracted off. It used to be ten percent, but they put it back down to seven and a half percent so. In order for you to even consider it, you'd have to have things like um, you're paying a mortgage and you have a lot of interest you're paying on mortgage. You've got a lot of real estate taxes. Uh, you've given a lot to charity. Then then the itemizing uh, would probably be beneficial.
1: Okay. I also wanted to ask you about credits. What should working adults know about retirement plan contributions?
2: All right. There's something called retirement savings contributions credit. It's also called savers credit, which allow those with taxable income below $33,000 to get a calculated credit if they set aside money in a qualified retirement savings account. So this is to encourage people to set up retirement accounts so they'll have enough money, because the days of people getting, you know, fantastic uh, retirements from working for a company have basically gone away. So it's up to the individual to save money for their retirement.
1: Good advice. And I was also finding in various uh, places, the internet and and some other uh, documents, something called the pension payout trap. Exactly what is that? And I'd like to have you explain to our listeners why new retirees should beware of the pension payout trap. What does that mean?
2: Well, this trap involves married couples who have massive retirement accounts. And when one spouse dies, the other spouse can be hit with what's called an excise tax bill for the inherited retirement. Now, there are ways to avoid this situation, and that's done by establishing financial arrangements that shelter that income. So couples who are in this situation should consult with an elder law advisor.
1: What specifically should they find out?
2: All right. They, they should say, we are in a situation where we both have big retirement accounts and we want to avoid the excise tax on an inherited retirement account. What, what are our options? and then they usually would be a lawyer, the lawyer would say to them, okay, we can set up something, we'll just call it a trust. We can set up a trust, and we can move the uh, retirement income into the trust. And that way, when somebody dies, it you're not going to get hit with that excise tax. So it's a, w- a way to avoid this one-time tax.
1: Okay. And there also is, uh, we were talking about credits before, I understand there's a credit for the elderly or disabled. What does that mean, and, and who would qualify for that credit?
2: Now, the credit for the elderly or disabled has been around for many, many years, but extremely few people are eligible for it because of the very low income requirements And these requirements have never been updated. They're the same as they were 30 years ago. Typically, this would be an individual who retired years ago on a small fixed pension and does not get Social Security. The uh, form you would be using, it's called a Schedule R, as in Roger. And if you received... 5000 or more of non-taxable social security and or non-taxable pensions annuities disability income that would disqualify you so it's been years since i've been able to use this years ago when i would finally find somebody i'd be thrilled cuz i could save them save them money on their taxes
1: and would there be uh, an older adult who is not getting Social Security? I would assume that that's a, a given.
2: Well, if you go back, if the person is old enough, they may not have been under Social Security.
1: I see. Well, let's take the, the the next question about the death of a spouse, and that also is a situation which could certainly be the case for uh, older adults. How does the death of a spouse affect how the surviving spouse files a, a tax return at the end of the year? What what does that look like? What kind of information do they need to provide? What is their status? Explain what, what an individual who's an, a new widow or widower would have to provide on their tax form.
2: Well, one thing first, you, if you remarry during that year, then it gets very, very complicated. But let's say you don't get married during the year that your spouse dies. You treat the as if your spouse was alive for the full year. So it's just as if they hadn't died. And you would go ahead and file, married filing jointly. Uh, When it came time to sign the form, uh, the spouse would say, you know, uh, Sally Smith, um, widow of, the, you know, whatever the name was. So they, they could sign for the person who had died. Then the following year, they would normally be treated as single unless they get married in the, in the following year.
1: One other quick question I was going to ask before we talk about uh, programs that are available, such as the one that you work at. I just recently did a program about uh, elder caregivers, uh, kinship caregivers. So in the event that an older adult is caring for their grandchild or some other family relative, could it be listed then as a dependent and and make a difference in terms of their tax form?
2: Well, in order for for anyone to claim somebody as a dependent, they have to provide more than 50% of of their income, okay, or, or paying for their expenses. Now, the one exception is if the, and that person has to live with you, the exception is, for a mother or a father. Unfortunately, it doesn't extend to grandparents, and it should, but it doesn't. Um, The parent doesn't have to live with you. The other thing that can happen is, let's say there's four children. The four children can contribute money to the support of the parent, and then they can sign a form Giving the parent as a dependent to one of the four, so the children are able to you know help the parent and one one of them can benefit as claiming that person as their dependent, and they don't have to live they don't have to live with anybody
1: so many different possibilities it and is
2: it's it gets it gets very
1: complicated I'm sure it does so. For the rest of the program, I wanted to turn to these programs that, that are available for older adults to have their 2021 taxes prepared. First of all, is it without charge? Where are they located? Do they need to make an appointment? What, what do our listeners need to know?
2: There are two free IRS programs in Arlington. One is called VITA, which is Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. And that has income limits. The other one is TCE, which is Tax Counseling for the Elderly, also known as AARP Tax Aid. The VITA site is located on South Highland Street near Columbia Pike. And the two TCE sites are located at the Central and the Columbia Pike Libraries. Now, for all of them now, appointments are required. And for TCE, there is a packet to be completed before you call to make an appointment. And these are available at the library. Now, to get detailed information, if you can go online and use Google and enter the following. Arlington County Tax Clinic. I'm going to repeat that. Arlington County Tax Clinic. Now, when you get the results, the one you want should show up as the first entry, which takes you to an Arlington County page, and it's the Department of Human Services. Now, you may see something from the library. You really don't want that one. You're better off with the one from the Department of Human Services. And that will give you the location, the days they're open, the hours, what number to call to make an appointment, and what you need to bring. This year, not so much for seniors, but there's a letter that the IRS is issuing for something new, which is the Advanced Child Tax Credit. And unfortunately, what they've done is they've split the money if it's a a married couple with children, and they send out two letters, one to each parent, with half of the money. And we're getting people coming in with just one letter because they think the other letter was a duplicate and it shouldn't have been issued. So it, it's causing problems and confusion.
1: I'm just wondering also because you are part of the AARP tax aid program, is are these types of programs for AARP, are they around the country in other states as well?
2: Um, the tax counseling for the elderly program is sort of mostly done by AARP, but not exclusively by AARP. So, if let's say Cheryl, you wanted to uh, help seniors do their taxes, you could apply to the IRS to be a Vita site. You could apply to be a TCE site. You could apply to be both. And uh, once once they approve you, then they put you in their database, and if somebody answers their zip code and you're near them, your your location will be uh, will be shown. So it doesn't belong to AARP.
1: Okay. And is there any telephone number that people can call, or do they just need to go to that website that you
2: mentioned? They need to go to the website because each location has a different phone number. Okay. And normally the phone number... No one's going to answer it, okay? You're going to have, you get a message and you have to leave your name and your phone number, and then somebody will call you back and say, okay, we want to set up your appointment. Um, Are you available X day? And I've got these times available that you might come in. Which one is going to work for you?
1: Okay, well, we're getting close to the end. Very quickly, I just wanted to ask you, if an individual can't pay their taxes, do they have certain options?
2: Well, there are basically two options. One is an installment agreement, and the other one is an extension of time to pay, which could be up to six months. Now, the setup fee for the installment agreement can range anywhere from $31 to over $200. So that's not the best option because you're having trouble paying your taxes and you have to pay this extra thing just to set up the account. So it's really, uh, you know, does to me it doesn't make sense if you can somehow get a hold of the money that you need to pay that uh, within the next six months.
1: Okay. And finally, I just wanted to ask you Again, the best resources about federal and state tax topics?
2: Okay. Um, online, for the federal, you could go to irs.gov slash tax topics. That's all one word. And for Virginia, it's Dot Virginia.gov. Now, phone numbers for the federal, if you wanted to call and ask a question, that number is 1 800 829 1040. Repeating that number 1 800 829 one zero four zero now if you want to order federal forms that's a different number that number is one eight hundred eight two nine three six seven six again one eight hundred eight two nine three six seven six for virginia and this is not a toll-free number 804 367 8031 again 804 367 8031 now there is a local number in Arlington that you can call they may not be able to give you the answer but it's worth a try probably that number is 703 703- 228 4017
1: Again, 703-228-4017. Well, Jim, you have provided so much information for us. Uh, I don't know whether we'll all be ready to go and start filling out those forms, but I want to thank you. Uh, you, Jim Morris Tax Aid with AARP Tax Aid Program and the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program for joining me today. If you want to check out Aging Matters, our website is www.agingmattersonline.com and of course there you can access all of our Aging Matters radio shows as well as the TV episodes as well as the podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Besides that, Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and that website is inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today, and remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.